the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. So if uh, I have not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Mike, and I am the student and young professionals pastor here at Central. Uh, one thing that I love about my job is while I get to uh, see these students graduate high school, um, I also get to be there for them when they enter college through our college and young professionals ministry, uh, which, is, which is really, really cool. Um, and speaking of students, uh, this is probably uh, the most energy I'm going to have in quite some time considering uh, next week, so not this week, but the next week, uh, we have our staycation camp, uh, which is uh, June 7th through the 11th. Yeah, that's something we could go ahead and cheer for. So uh, I do not know what condition I will be in uh, after that, so I'm glad that Pastor Allen asked me to preach uh, this week instead of after that. Uh, however, uh, with that, we actually, yesterday we had our 99th student register for staycation, which is really cool. So... Uh, so with that, that's my shameless plug uh, for that. We encourage you, if you haven't registered uh, and you, or you want more information, there, there'll be more information uh, in the lobby near the next steps room for that. But we are not here for my staycation commercial. We're here to get into the Word of, word of God, right? So uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We are going to start with verse 1. If you would stand with me as we read the Word of God together. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says to the church in Rome, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you would join me in prayer. Father, we ask that as we dive into your word this morning, God, that you would speak that, Father, this would be that we would hear from your word this morning, Father, that everything that comes from my mouth would be just that, God, you would just use me as a vessel for your word this morning, God. Allow us to be challenged, to be changed, and to be encouraged by what you have to say to us this morning, God. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So you can grab a seat. So as we were talking about, we have uh, our, with our graduating seniors this morning, I think nothing, uh, nothing kind of solidifies that more, just kind of labels that season of life as just very different, right? Quite a, a change in seasons. If you've ever graduated high school or even graduated college, there is a lot that they're about to experience for some of them for the first time. For some of them, this is the first time that they're living on their own. For others, this is the first time that they have to learn the difference between dish soap and dish detergent, <laughs> which is something that I had to learn, uh, which uh, the hard way. I had to learn that the hard way. But, uh, and also, this isn't just a huge transition for them. This is also a very big deal for the parents as well, right? For many of them, this is the first student there that, they're, that they're watching leave the nest. And it's a terrifying time for them. For others, maybe this is the last one, and they're, and they're celebrating with, and rejoicing, right? But no matter whether it's the student or the parent or whatever season of life you are in, one thing is for sure that life changes and life goes on. That there are seasons for every single one of us, and all of us have to endure the changes that come with those seasons. For, for some, maybe it's graduating high school. For others, maybe it's getting married or having your first child or getting that new job, or perhaps losing a job. 
or losing a loved one. But the, all these things that I just mentioned to you are all changes in life that we go through. And whether we embrace change and we love change or we're terrified of it, something that we need to all acknowledge is that change is always difficult. Now, it varies in how difficult it is, but when we experience change, what is brought to the spotlight is what we have placed our faith in. What we have placed our faith in is the thing that is brought to the spotlight. And a lot of times when life gets difficult, I've heard people say that, well, it's testing your faith. And I agree with that to an extent. However, I believe what is truly being tested is what you have placed your faith in, not necessarily your faith. Because if you have placed your faith in Jesus... And if, my, if I'm placing my faith in Jesus and Jesus is put to the test, I know he passes every time. Amen. See, it's not a great amount of faith that saves us, but it's a little amount of faith in a great God that saves us. Amen? Amen. So when we're talking about what these seasons of life does is it doesn't necessarily change us. What it does is it really reveals where we're at. It reveals where we're at. And one of the most sobering statistics is what happens to, gradu- to graduating seniors when they leave home, when they're raised in the church, and what happens after that. I don't even have to get into too much specifics, but in 2019, LifeWay Research conducted a study that found that as people get older, their attendance in church declines. About 68% of of 19-year-olds claim that they were a part of church, that they went to church, they grew up going to church. Fast forward that to 20 years old, and it drops to 40%. Fast forward that to the early 20s, 21, 22, and and it's, it's approximately 30%. And what happens, right? How do we get here? How do we get to this point? And there's a lot of reasons for this, but ultimately what I truly believe is that we have a generation of people, not just young, but also old, that their faith may be misplaced. It may be misplaced. That's what we're going to look at this morning because we need to understand that our life as a Christian Your life as a Christian, our life as a church revolves around one thing, and that is glorifying the Lord. To worship Him and to bring Him honor and glory, no matter what season of life we are in. Now we're in Romans here, and when it comes to systematic theology, so when I say that, like everything that we believe as Christians, there's not necessarily a book in the Bible that we can go to and say, there it is, everything we believe. However, I will say that the book of Romans is pretty close. Paul labors for 11 chapters to explain in depth the gospel of Jesus Christ. He spends 11 chapters explaining the mystery and the beauty of how we are able to have a right relationship with God through Christ. And at the end of this, he goes on to express the practical application of what this looks like. So chapter 12 marks a massive shift in the theme of what Paul is saying. So for 11 chapters, Paul has said, here is the gospel. Here is where we were lost in our sins, deserving of the wrath of God, and and he goes through and explains how we went from this to being restored to a right relationship with him for the glory of God. And starting in chapter 12, he now says, okay, now this is the practical application of how you should live this out. This is how you should respond to this. So with that being said, the first thing we want to see is the motivation for the Christian life. Why do we do what we do? 
See, this is something that I, I challenge a lot of young people every time I get the chance, is do you know why you do what you do? Because if you don't, then when it's challenged, you'll be quick to leave it, right? So why do we do what we do? See, in the very first phrase here, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, here's something that I say all the time. And if there's students in the room, they probably already know what I'm going to say before I even say it. But when you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you should always go back to see what it is there for, right? <laughs> what is it talking about? See, because when it's saying therefore, therefore is a conjunctive adverb. What's saying it, it is about, it, therefore is setting up a claim based on what has previously been presented, Right? So Paul is basically about to give a command. He's about to give a claim or a statement. And the basis for what he is about to say can be found in what he has just said. Does that make sense? So here's the question. What has he just explained? What has he just proclaimed? He has explained to them the gospel. The gospel. The, the, the mercies of God. So what we need to know is that Paul is using the gospel, the saving work of Christ for you and for me, as the basis for what he's about to tell us. That is the basis for what he's about to tell us. This is further emphasized when he says, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. One thing that I think is so beautiful and simple is how we can see that the entire gospel can be summed up in that simple phrase. The mercy of God. Amen. The mercy of God. So God's mercy towards sinners is the motivation for what Paul is about to say. And this is drastically important. We're going to get to the command in a moment, but it's drastically important that we understand this because if you don't understand the gospel and the goodness of God towards sinners like you and like me, if you don't understand that, then nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. If we don't wrestle with this, then nothing else matters. This is why our discipleship as a church and everything that we do as Christians should flow from a proper understanding of the gospel. Everything that we do should flow from a proper understanding of what God has done through Christ to redeem his creation. Because if we miss this, if we miss the motivation for Paul's command, then all we have is very moral people headed to an eternity apart from Christ. And what we've done is we've, we've, we've made very moral people, but we have not made disciples. Amen. There are many people in churches every Sunday morning, and perhaps even in this room, that think that they are Christians, but they are sorely mistaken. Because they have not been taught the gospel. Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? See, so all of their good deeds, all of their service in the community, and even the songs they sing on Sunday morning worship are all amiss because they do so apart from Christ. Mark 16, 15. Jesus says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Sadly, what is being proclaimed by many Christians today is not the gospel. In 2005, a researcher named Christian Smith conducted a study designed to take a closer look at the religious beliefs of teenagers and young adults. Now, teenagers and young adults in 2005 are the parents of today. 
right? So the, the teenagers and young adults of 2005, 16 years ago, which is hard to believe, are the parents of today and the pastors often of today. After conducting interviews with over 3,000 individuals, he observed a drastic shift in the, American, in the way that American religious people view Jesus and a relationship with God. He would later go on to name this way of thinking, and he named it Christian Therapeutic Moralistic Deism. I'm going to explain what that means. So Christian Smith's argument is that true biblical Christianity has been pushed out the door and has been replaced by something else that is wrapped in the name of Jesus. We've put the Jesus' name on it, and it's, been, and it's been packaged in Christian terms, but it is anything but the true gospel. It may seem Christian, but its intent and its purpose behind it is first and foremost therapeutic. All right? What I mean by that is we want to feel good about ourselves. So what the Bible is, is the Bible is a map for us to understand that we are valuable, that we are precious, that we are loved. And it's about feeling good about ourselves. It's about taking our shame and putting it over here and understanding that, hey, that's not me. Like, I am valuable. And here's the thing. Is that true? Yes, it is true. However, that is not why we do what we do. We do it because he's worthy. Amen. But not only is it therapeutic, but it's also moralistic. So in your efforts to feel good about yourself, you should make sure that you're behaving because there's a God. And I want you to know that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Here's five points of this line of thinking of Christian therapeutic moralistic deism. First point, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Two, God wants, to be, God wants people to be good nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Four, God is not, God is not needed to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And five, good people go to heaven when they die. Now, that sounds crazy to, to some of us, but think about it. Every time, a lot of times that you've heard Christianity being promoted in the culture, that is what it is. That is what it is. No mention of sin. No mention of, of the need for us to be made right with, in right relationship with God. No mention of, of anything that the gospel actually talks about. But this is popular American Christianity. And we have thousands, if not millions of people, young and old, that have bought into a lie and are convinced of a relationship that they do not have. They're convinced that when they die, they will see God only to sadly be mistaken. As a church, this should break our hearts. This should break our hearts that there are people who think that they are going one place and they're not. And we should take ownership of not just having the pastor do it or the, or the leaders do it, but every single one of us taking ownership of understanding, do everyone that I know in, in my life, do they know the true gospel? Are they trusting in Jesus alone for salvation? The Americanized version of the gospel is just as damning as any other false religion. 
Why do I mention this? You know, what does this have to do with worship? Because the strength to follow the commands of Scripture comes from an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which only comes through a saving faith in the gospel. So now that we've seen the motivation for the Christian life, why we do what we do, the gospel, let's see the aim of the Christian life. What do we do? So Paul goes on, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, God's command to you and to me through Scripture is simple, to worship God. To worship God. Magnify Him in your life. Elevate Him to the highest of your priorities. Find your delight and your pleasure in who He is. Do everything as unto the Lord, Colossians 3.23. Do not overcomplicate things. We do not need to overcomplicate things. So many times I hear people say, okay, I don't know what God wants me to do. Or God, like, God, you know, please tell me what you want me to do with my life. Or God, please tell me what job you want. Or God, please show me who you want me to marry or whatever. And here's the thing. It's not bad to pray those things, right? It's not bad to pray those things. However, I think what we should do is pray this way. God, what job would allow me to glorify you the most? God, what spouse would allow me to glorify you the way that you have called me to? See, it's the same prayer, but it's more focused. It's the same prayer, but instead of me being at the center of it, Christ is at the center. Now, Christians, many Christians, even probably most of us in this room, would agree that we should worship God, right? I've never met a Christian that would say, nah, I don't think that's that big of a deal, right? I think we should understand that it's very important that we worship the Lord. Many of us would also probably agree that that's the main purpose we have breath in our lungs. The reason we wake up in the morning is to give glory to God, to live a lifestyle of worship. But here's the question. Do we know what that means? Because it sounds great, right? We could put it on our Christian Hallmark card and give it to somebody, right? But does, do we know what that means? Notice what Paul is doing here. Paul is taking the phrase, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and he says, which is your spiritual worship? So what he's saying is, is that your spiritual worship, true worship, a lifestyle of worship, is found in the phrase, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If you want to know what worship is, that is what it is. So, what does this look like? First point, daily surrender. See the phrase, present your bodies. The imagery that Paul is giving here is to stand before another in order to serve them. To offer oneself in service to another. This is the exact same phrase that Paul uses in Romans 6.13. Where he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Everyone in this room needs to hear what I'm about to say. And if you're watching online, please hear what I'm about to say. If you are not presenting yourself to God, you are presenting yourself to something else. If you are not presenting yourself to God, you are presenting yourself to something or someone else. Romans 6, 16-17, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You see, we're natural-born worshipers. 
We worship everything. We worship sports. We worship athletes. We worship celebrities. We worship our kids. We worship our spouses. We worship our traditions. And the list goes on and on. Give me five minutes. I'll find something to worship. Right? That's what we do. You can go to the deepest jungles, which some of you in this room actually have. And what you find, what are they doing? Worshiping. Why? It's the basic need of every human heart is to worship. See, we're natural born worshipers. And in addition to this, in addition to this presenting ourselves, this surrender and offering of our allegiance, it's important to understand that we do not simply offer God a part of ourselves and we keep the rest for us. When Paul says that we are to present our bodies, uh, it is best understood, especially within the Jewish mindset, it's best understood as presenting our whole self, our body, our mind, and our spirit. So to present our bodies is to present our whole selves for the service of God, ready to be used by Him. We hold nothing back. 1 Corinthians 6.13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. I'll give you a perfect example. When I first got my license, uh, my parents, uh, uh, you know, when I first got my license, my parents, you know, were encouraging me to drive, you know, and I wanted to drive. You know, I got my license. I was like, I'll go anywhere. I don't care. Like, I will drive. And what happened oftentimes is I was looking for excuses to drive. So often what this meant was if my parents needed someone to go to the grocery store, I volunteer as tribute. Like, I will go. I'll go get the groceries. And because I did not have a job at the time, they would give me money to buy them groceries. It would give me a certain amount of money. So they'd say, okay, here's the list of items we need. I know this much money will cover that. Go get it. Now, when you send a teenage boy to the grocery store, <laughs> you got to give him a very specific list of instructions. Because if it's up to me, I'm buying Pop-Tarts, I'm buying cereal, I'm buying anything I want, right? But here's the thing, you have to give them a very specific instruction. Because as a teenage boy, I don't care about laundry detergent. I want strawberry toaster strudels, right? For the glory of Jesus. Now, I was usually pretty good at getting what they asked me to get. But I want you to imagine a situation with me. Imagine the scenario. Imagine they gave me $100 to get everything that they knew that $100 was going to cover the items on this list. And imagine if $90 of it I spent for that list. But there's some items on that list that I was like, you know what? If I get this, then I can't get my toaster strudels. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my toaster strudels. I'm going to spend the $90 towards them. And whatever is left off the list, they'll understand. Now, that sounds ridiculous. My parents would be furious with me. Why? Because they knew that every dollar they gave me was for a specific purpose. And if I wanted extra money for myself, all I had to do was ask. Amen. Right? All I had to do was ask. That's my, that's my father, by the way, if you're curious. All I had to do was ask, and chances, and, and chances are that if it was within reason, they would give it to me. But my partial obedience is still disobedience. Because that is not why they gave me that $100. Partial obedience is still disobedience. It's another theme throughout all the scripture that God does not ask for part of you. He demands all of you. And we have gotten really good at partially worshiping Jesus. 
We think that we can simply add Jesus to our lives and continue on like we were as if Jesus is an accessory item. I'll give God this part of my life, but I won't give him this part of my life. I'll give God my concerns and my worries, but I won't give God my finances. I'll give God my, you know, my Sunday mornings if I don't have anything else to do. I'll give God my heart, I'll give him my, or I'll give God my hands, but I won't give him my heart. Or vice versa, I'll give him my hand, a heart, but I won't give him my hands. I'll worship God as long as it coincides with my aspirations. It's total surrender. In addition to this, the Greek tense of this verb is also suggesting something more than just a one-time dedication. The presenting in the Greek there is actually the language that Paul is using here is to suggest a complete, comprehensive, continual placing of oneself at God's disposal. Being a Christian is not a part-time gig. Being a Christian is not like getting a flu shot. Like, I took care of that. If you are not continually repenting, continually giving yourself at the disposal of Christ, chances are you probably didn't start. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. And if you know me, you know you weren't getting out of a sermon without an A.W. Tozer quote. He says, if you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him one day a week. There is no such thing known in heaven as Sunday worship unless it is accompanied by Monday worship and Tuesday worship and so on. Amen. See, being a Christian is not something that is done on Sundays. Being a Christian is not something we do when we come back from college. Being a Christian is not something that we do when we are uh, in the presence of everyone else when they're looking at us. If we're not living for Christ in the privacy of our own homes, then chances are we're not living for Christ when everyone else is looking. Chances are that what we're really living for is the approval of other people for them to see us as something that we know we're not. Being a Christian is a 24-7, 365, devoting yourself to God. Every breath you have. To hold anything back this is not God's desire from his church. To hold anything back is not a proper response to the beauty of the gospel. It's daily surrender, every moment. Second point, we see it's daily surrender, but two, we see it's not about me. We say as a living sacrifice. I'm going to try and speed up a little bit. That's a living sacrifice. We've just seen that worship is a daily surrender, but Paul goes on further to say that we are presenting ourselves for one purpose, a living sacrifice. Now, this is language that, the language Paul is using here is, is frequent in the Old Testament, right? They, they would constantly offer sacrifices, right? The Torah or the, Old, you know, the, the Levitical law, the first five books of the Bible, a lot of it is devoted to explaining these sacrifices, right? There's different kinds of sacrifices. There was sins of, a, there was, a, sorry, there was sacrifices of atonement, and there were sacrifices of acknowledgement. So there are certain sacrifices that they would offer for the specific purpose of forgiveness of sins. Then there were other sacrifices that they were offered for the specific purpose of glorifying God, for his pleasure and his delight. Now we know that ultimately the, our ultimate atoning sacrifice was fulfilled in Christ Amen. on the cross. That, that final sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross was good for all. Every sin that you have ever committed and every sin that you ever will commit has been atoned for in the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
So that leaves only one type of sacrifice left. Sacrifice of acknowledgement, of worship for God's pleasure. So here's the thing. If the one sacrifice that we actually were designed to get something out of has been taken care of, then that means that the remaining sacrifices are not about you and not about me. What more could you want from him if he has given you his only son? means that you and I also do not worship with the intent of receiving forgiveness. Why? Because that sacrifice was taken care of by Christ. I do not live my life for God so he will forgive me. I live my, God, my life for God, because what did we say earlier, in response to the fact that he already has. We worship not with the intent of receiving, but we worship with the intent of giving. Everything that has to do with us has been taken care of. Because of this, to be a living sacrifice for God's glory means that we have to die to ourselves. If worship is about God's pleasure and His glory, then there's no room for my preferences. Everything that we do, we do for Him. It's not about what I want. Everything we do, we do for Him. When we sing, we do not sing for ourselves. Worship is not about what you got out of it that week. I was speaking with a student recently about this. And the topic of worship came up and, and we were talking. And, and one thing that I told him is I believe that the reason that there's so much discontentment in the lives of many Christians is because we have taken the things that God has designed for ways that he ministers to us and we've made it to be ways that we minister to him and flipping it around. We've also taken things that are meant to be ways that we minister to God and we've taken those to be things that we minister to us. I'll explain because that sounded very confusing. Okay. Prayer. Prayer is a gift that God has given the Christian as a way that he ministers to our hearts. We it is the most incredible privilege you could possibly have to have a one-on-one -on -one standing before the king of the universe. To speak and know that he hears you. We lay our burdens at his feet. We come to him with our concerns. But so many times, so many people think that that is something that we do for him. Like it's a way that I show him he's my top priority. And you can tell based off the way that they pray. Because they're not genuine. They're not honest. Why? Because they say, oh, Father, high above. And I'm not saying that it's bad to use that language, but what I'm trying to say is that, they have n that, that there's no sincerity. Or when you're praying, I've, there's so many times I've been praying with people and I've said, hey, do you want to pray? And they say, I don't know how. Look, this isn't something that you're doing for God. This is something that God's allowed you to be able to partake in. And as long as you see prayer as an obligation or a duty, it will never be satisfying to you. Take it or flip it around. We've also taken worship meant for his glory and we've made it about the way that God ministers to us. So the way that I know that worship was good is if I felt God speak to me through it. Don't get me wrong. God can speak through music, absolutely. But primarily he speaks through his word. Worship is not about the feelings that you got. Worship is about glorifying the Lord. So whether you leave with an emotional feeling or not, you can be satisfied knowing you gave God what he asks. Yeah. 
And how do we get to this point? We must be willing to die to ourselves in order so that we live for Jesus. We must be willing to die to ourselves in order to live for Jesus. I'll give you an example. When I married my wife, I gained a lot. When I married my wife, I gained a best friend. I gained a ministry partner. I gained someone who takes care of me better than I deserve. But I also, at the same time, said no to the single life. Right? To say yes to the married life is to say no to the single life. You cannot be married and continue your life as if you're single. That's a quick way to not succeed in marriage. Right? (laughs) Now we learn this, but to say yes to the married life is to say no to the single life. Likewise, you cannot be yoked to Christ and continue to live as if you are not. can't. It's impossible. This is an analogy I give all the time. And a lot of you have probably already heard it, but I'm going to say it. Imagine, so I'm supposed to preach this morning. Service starts at 9.30. Imagine it is 10.20 now. Imagine that I walked in now. I say, hey guys, sorry I'm late. I'm ready to go. Chances are, I would be heavily reprimanded by my boss, Right? You all would be furious with me. And you'd probably ask, Mike, why are you late? What could possibly have been so important? Why are you late? You better have a good excuse. I'll say, you know what? I have a, I have a good excuse. Here, here, here's what happened. I'll be honest with you. I was on my way here, and as I was going, I got a flat tire. So I pulled off on the side of the road, and I was like, sure enough, it's as flat as it could possibly be. So I take the tire off, and as I do this, a lug nut rolls into the street. So I'm like, oh, oh, I got to go get it. So I run into the street. I grab the lug nut. And when I look up, a 15-wheeler semi-truck going 85 miles an hour is right here. And it just laid me out. But I got up. I dusted myself off. I fixed the tire. And that's why I'm late. That's why I'm late. You would look at me and you would say, you are a liar. You're a liar. You could not possibly encounter the full weight of a semi-truck going 85 miles an hour and still not look like you've had an encounter with a semi-truck. Let me propose the same thought to you. Could you possibly have the indwelling of the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God, the God who created the universe with the sound of his voice, have that living within you and not look different? I would say it's far more likely that I was hit by a truck and got here looking all wonderful and dandy. It's far more likely that that's the case than for the Holy Spirit of God to be living in you and nothing be different. Our life is a sacrifice. We have to die to ourselves. You see, the life of a Christian is not, sorry, the life of a Christian is a life that is different. We cannot believe the amazing truth of the gospel and not be changed by it. Here's the thing, how do we accept this? We must die to ourselves. We must be willing to stop trusting in our own efforts and seeking our own passions and live for his glory. Have another A.W. Tozer quote. I really want you to pay attention to this. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. 
Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and the worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of man's soul and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. This may not seem to be what you wanted to hear. It may not seem like the encouraging student pastor sermon on a holiday weekend. It doesn't seem super fun dying to our desires. However, I will tell you, that you've never experienced joy until you've died to yourself. You've never experienced true peace, true contentment. It's only found by letting go of you and holding on to Jesus. And I love how this passage says that our sacrifice to God is holy and acceptable. I don't know about you, but there's nothing holy and acceptable about me. There's nothing holy and acceptable about me. But what I love is how Scripture says that our response to him, when we respond to the gospel the way that he has called us to, it's not about me cleaning myself up. Scripture says that I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That I am declared acceptable. I'm declared holy and righteous. Not because of anything that I have done, but because of what he has done for me. Remember, everything we do is in response to what he has already done. So if you're in this room, if you're in this season of change, you want to know, what do I do with my life? Let go of you. Hold on to Jesus. Know that it's not about how good you are or what you should be doing or, or, or cleaning yourself up. It's about running to Christ and allowing him to declare you as accepted. Even though we don't deserve it. We're going to close in song. And maybe how you respond to this message is by simply just listening to the words. Maybe the way that you respond to this is by repenting. The Lord knows that I need to. That we pray. Maybe, maybe it's coming to the altar and asking God, God, help me to die to myself and to live for you. Everyone always has a next step. How are you going to Live your life for the glory of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for the truth of Scripture. That God, it's not about what I've done. It's not about who, uh, who I am. It's not about how wonderful I can clean myself up. But God, it's about what you have done for me on the cross. And God, I ask that every moment of my life be a faithful response to what you have already done for me. God, I thank you. If there's anyone in this room that does not know you as Savior, Father, I ask that you draw people to yourself. Save people. Father, I thank you and I praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take the next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.